This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's what God does for us. We don't have the money to pay. And so he reaches under the table and says, here's the sacrifice you need. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ that you need. That's, that's a picture. That's why, that's why Naomi is a picture of us. We didn't have anything to offer back to the Lord. And we had about as much to give to the Lord as Naomi had to give to Ruth, which is nothing. And Boaz saw pure love in Ruth's love for Naomi. Pure love is when a person gives to someone who has no means to pay them back. That's pure love. Pure love is, is what a person gives with no expectation to get anything back. And Boaz saw that pure love in Ruth's love for Naomi. And that's the pure love that the Lord Jesus Christ had for us when he died on the cross for our sins, knowing that there's nothing that he could expect back from us in return. We had nothing to offer the Lord Jesus except the sacrifice of our lips, which is praise to him. But God, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God went over the top in showing his love for us because it was while we were right in the middle of sin, right in the middle of our sin and rebellion against God, God says, I'm gonna die for your sins. Just think about the sequence of events in in this course of events which is described in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's what's happening. We're going astray, everyone to his own way. And what's God do? The Lord laid on on him the iniquity of us all. Right in the middle. It was right during the time when we were like sheep, going astray, walking away from God, right during the time when each of us was turning to our own way, away from God, right at that time, the Lord lays on the Lord Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. It's just a simple phrase that describes what the Lord did for us when it says in in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Here's the phrase, the just for the unjust the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. See that simple phrase, the just 
for the unjust. The Lord Jesus, the just. We, the unjust. What he did, the cross that we could live. The just for the unjust. And this was the, and frankly, we weren't worth it. We weren't worth it. We, we asked the question, why? Why'd you do that? I mean, why did he, the just, give himself for us, the unjust? Because we don't see ourselves as worth it. There's one word to describe it, love. Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's nothing that we could give in return for his sacrifice. But he did it because he is love. And frankly speaking, a young girl named Ruth giving up her life for Naomi, an old lady with nothing, when there was nothing that Naomi could ever give back for. There's only one word to describe why Ruth did that, love. Ruth loved Naomi. And Boaz saw this, and he realized that there was, there was just, there's just, there's just no way that Naomi can ever give it. And this, he, stakes, he, he stands back. Boaz stands back, and he says to himself, my, my, my. He says, just look at all that Ruth is doing for Naomi. Naomi has no way to pay Ruth back. Naomi has no way to recompense Ruth back for all that she sacrificed for Naomi. And as Boaz, as he's seeing all this in his mind, in verse 10, there's one word that's just buzzing around in his mind. It's the word recompense. It's the word payback. And at the end of verse 11, we can just almost hear Boaz cry out, Ruth has given up so much for Naomi. Ruth must be paid back. Ruth must be recompensed for all that she's given for Naomi. Ruth, Naomi can never recompense. Naomi, Naomi can never pay back Ruth for all that she's done. It can't happen. And so at the end of verse 11, we can hear Boaz troubled with this question, and he's saying to himself, who is going to recompense Ruth for all that she's done for her mother-in-law? And then verse 11, he says, he says, I found out who's gonna pay her back. And so verse 12, he's found out. He says, the Lord recompense thy work. In verse 12, we can hear him shout back, I know who's gonna pay you back, Ruth. I know who's gonna recompense you, Ruth, for all that you've done for your mother-in-law, the Lord will. He will recompense, the Lord will recompense Ruth for all she's done. What a statement Boaz is saying there. Naomi sees what Ruth is doing for her, Naomi can't pay Ruth. God sees what Ruth is doing for Naomi. God can recompense Ruth for all that she's done. And so Boaz says, Lord, do it. Recompense her. And then he says, give her a full reward. He uses a very rarely used Hebrew word here for reward, mascaret. And we've seen this word before, maybe not in the best light, but it was said before by our good old friend Laban, <laughs> when he was proposing his daughter to Rachel to be his wife in exchange for Jacob's labor. And Laban said to, to Jacob in Genesis 29, 15, and Laban said unto Jacob, because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall be thy wages? What shall be thy masquerade? What shall it be? So here Laban is saying to Jacob, you work for me, I gotta give you some payment. What's your payment? Rachel to be your wife? Fine. Laban was saying, wouldn't be right for Jacob to work for nothing and not to receive any wages in return for his labor. That's the meaning of the word that's used here, the payment. Boaz is saying the same thing. Wouldn't be right for Ruth to do all this for Naomi and not to be recompensed, not to be paid. He uses that word. 
So Boaz is saying to Naomi, he's saying, Naomi can't pay her back, but God will. Okay, then in fact, the way that Boaz says this is very significant. We got to look back on the previous verse to understand the importance of what Boaz said to her because in chapter 1, verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. See, this verse is important because it shows to us how Ruth was known as she entered into Bethlehem for the first time. This was not Ruth. This was not, she was not called Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She was called Ruth the Moabitess. And you can be sure that when they called Ruth the Moabitess, it was kind of with a, the Moabitess, stinging, despising. That was Ruth the despised, hated Moabitess. There she is. See, that was not Ruth the, the wealthy, despised Moabitess. That was Ruth, the despised Moabitess beggar. And Ruth was called that from the day that she entered into Bethlehem, and that's how she was known, Ruth the Moabitess. And that's how she was treated as the hated Ruth the Moabitess. And when Boaz went to speak to Ruth the Moabitess, all eyes were on Boaz to see how he would treat her and what he would say to her. Everyone expected for Boaz to fall in line with the rest of the Bethlehem and treat her like her name, Ruth the Moabitess. But to everyone's amazement, Boaz seems to stretch out his hand to this downtrodden Ruth the Moabitess and not call her Ruth the Moabitess, but instead he calls her my daughter. And what an example Boaz was to the Jewish people of Bethlehem. I remember, when I look at this, I just can't help but think about when I got to the all-boys boarding school in Lausanne, Switzerland. And all the kids in that boarding school, we all knew why we were there. We were all rich kids that got in the way of our parents' lives, and we were dumped into boarding school in Switzerland to get out of our parents' lives. We all knew that. So, so having the hurt of being sent away from home to a boarding school meant that having friends at a boarding school was really important, it was very important, but I had no friends. Why? Because I was the Jew. I was the Jewish kid. You know, here you can say, you know, you're church of Jewish. Oh, that's wonderful. My Lord was Jewish. They didn't do that there. <laughs> uh, I was the outcast, and all of our teachers were from North Africa, from Algeria, Libya, Morocco, and uh, wonderful friends. Anyway, so um, I was the outcast, and no one talked with me. I, I was Tom the Jew, like Ruth the Moabitess. I was Tom the Jew. It was terrible. It was just terrible. No one sat with me at lunch. No one came to my room to talk with me. No one skied with me. We had a rough life. No one skied with me. I was not invited to go with the guys to the pizza restaurant in town. It was terrible. But then there was one person who stepped out of the crowd, and he talked with me, and he sat with me at lunch, and he came to my room, and we skied together, and he became my friend. And was he a Jew? My best friend's name was Mohammed Gozafi. <laughs> Gozafi is the same as Gaddafi, but he wasn't from Libya. He was from Tehran. He was an Iranian Muslim. And anyway, Mohammed Gozafi and I, we became best friends. 
and he and I would walk uh, on the boardwalk there at Lake Geneva on Sunday. He used to work, wear a perfectly tailored suit. I used to make fun of him. And he, he used to walk like an Iranian aristocrat. He, he, like Charlie Chaplin, he would kind of like sort of shuffle his feet out like he would walk like this, you know? <laughs> and so, and I would copy him. You know, as we'd walk there, and we'd laugh, we laughed together, we hurt together, we wrote, home, we, we wrote letters home, always with the same two words at the end of all of our letters, send money. <laughs> and, and I went from having no friends to having a best friend. And at night, he used to come over to my room, and, and he'd tell me about this mountain community in Iran where the people lived to be 150 years old, and the wives did exactly what the husbands told them to do. And so we were planning a school. As soon as school was over, we were going there, and we were going to get married. We were going to marry into that community and live happily ever after in the mountains of Iran. See, that's where I'd be if I'm not here now. <laughs> and we would laugh together. And, and then something amazing happened. When the other guys saw that Mohammed Gozafi was my friend, then the other guys in the school, they started to talk with me. And they started to have lunch with me. And then they invited me to the pizza restaurant with the rest of the guys. Why was I accepted among the guys at the boarding school? Because of Mohammed Gozafi. Because by his example, he stepped out of the crowd and he said, I will not despise him because he is a Jew. Because Mohammed Gozafi, in his example of being my friend, he said to the rest of the school, he's not Tom the despised Jew, he's Tom my best friend. He dared to step out of the crowd and become my friend. And when Mohammed Gozafi did that, he set an example for the rest of the school. That's exactly what Boaz did. Here, he knew Ruth was the despised Moabitess. He knew that no one talked with Ruth because she was Ruth the despised Moabitess. He knew that no one sat with her at lunch because she was Ruth the despised Moabitess. But then, like Mohammed Gazafi did for me in verse 8, when Boaz stepped out of the crowd and said, no, she's not Ruth the despised Moabitess. She's Ruth, my daughter. Then, just like Mohammed Gazafi did for me, Boaz, verse 13, steps out of the crowd, and then Ruth says to Boaz, let me find grace. Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. Thou hast comforted me, for thou hast spoken, what's the word? Friendly. He says, thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto thine handmaidens. See, Ruth said to Boaz that he had spoken friendly to her. See, out in the field, Ruth had no friend, and Boaz had dared to step out and be that friend, and Boaz did that, and Boaz became an example to the others to follow and become the friend to Ruth. That is what you and I are called to do, you know, to become the friend to the friendless. Kids, you go to school, be a Boaz. Look for that kid that no one likes. Look for that kid that everyone picks on. Look for that kid that everyone bullies. Be a Boaz. Look for that kid and eat lunch. That, you know, that kid that's eating lunch alone. You know, that kid that has no friends. That kid is Ruth. That kid is Ruth the outcast and despised Moabitess. That kid is Ruth the Moabitess. Be a Boaz. Step out of the crowd. Dare to befriend that kid. Tell everyone that that kid is your friend. Stand up for your new friend. Defend him. See, that was Boaz, and that's so amazing in verse 12 is that Boaz is not in any way speaking to Ruth as a despised, hated Moabitess. Boaz, Boaz has already distinguished himself to Ruth by talking to her with all the care as if she was his daughter. 
And what father doesn't jealously guard over his daughter and protect his daughter like a hawk? But now, what do we see Boaz doing for Ruth in verse 12? Beyond acting like a father, now Boaz is praying for Ruth. And this is a prayer when Boaz says, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord. Boaz, he's now a priest. He's acting like a priest. He's interceding for God, uh, to God for, for, for Ruth. And Boaz is praying down blessings. Blessings on Ruth. What an example Boaz is for us to how to pray, pray like a priest. Boaz is part of a kingdom of royal priests with us in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that this was a vision that God had cast for the Jewish people of being this royal priesthood. And God said that in Exodus 19.6, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Not just if you're a Levite, but you, the whole of the Jewish people, shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. See, God told his people, and he tells us, you be unto me a kingdom of priests. You will be unto me. He said, you shall be unto me. That means that when we pray, we're doing that for God. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that when we pray, it's because we got this list right here and everybody here needs us right here on the list of our prayer list. And I thought that's why we're, we're praying because we're in desperate need of prayer. That's why we pray. God says, no, your prayer is a ministry to God. You be unto me. It's what God wants us to do to carry on the work of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, by being emulators, copiers of him, praying for others. That's what he's doing here for Ruth. He was unto God a priest praying for Ruth. But there's something else that's very important that Boaz is doing when he prays for Ruth. Boaz is being a very important example before all the people of Bethlehem, before all the Jewish people in Bethlehem. He's changing, Boaz is changing their prejudice of all the Jewish people who are prejudiced against the Moabites. Boaz is showing by his own example how Ruth is not to be the despised Ruth the Moabitess, but Ruth is to be honored and esteemed and held in very high position. Boaz is doing this by his example. And the Jewish people, they needed to have their prejudice abandoned, to see Ruth in a different light of honor and esteem because of what she did and who she was. But how were the Jewish people to abandon their prejudice against Ruth, the Moabites, against the Moabites? How are the Jewish people going to come to honor Ruth and to greatly esteem Ruth the Moabitess? How are the Jewish people going to admire Ruth for her great works, for her sterling person? By Boaz. By Boaz. By Boaz showing by example the Jewish people by showing by his own example how Ruth was to be honored and held in great esteem. By Boaz speaking about the great works of Ruth, which he did, by Boaz speaking about the sterling character of Ruth, by Boaz, and when he did that, he changed the attitude of the Jewish people towards Ruth, who they despised, and he did it by his own example. Bravo, Boaz. Now, as we see this, we see how Boaz is our teacher. He's our example. He's teaching us how to evangelize 
the lost. Effective evangelism is to change the opinion of the lost as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he did. Effective evangelism is to convert God-hating lost souls into God-worshiping saved souls. That's what effective evangelism is. How's that done? How's that done? By exactly how Boaz did that for the Jewish people. Lost people are prejudiced against the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most prejudiced people against the Lord Jesus Christ? Jewish people. Jewish people are just like all people, only more so. (laughs) The Jewish people need to abandon their prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ and come to be converted, to honor him, to esteem him for his great works and his great person. So what's our goal in evangelism? What are we trying to accomplish? What does God want to see a person convert to? What's the most effective evangelism? The most effective evangelism is not a recitation of a catechismic list of points. The most effective evangelism is when we see a lost person honor the Lord Jesus Christ and speak highly of his great works. After all, our goal in evangelism is for people not to adopt a series of doctrines or beliefs, not to just adopt Christianity, not to join a church, not to call themselves Christians, not to just repeat a prayer of accepting Christ as Savior. Our goal in evangelism is to see lost people change and become three things that they are not. When we evangelize, we are looking for three things we want a lost person to become. First, our goal in evangelism is to see people become what the greatest commandment speaks about in Deuteronomy 6.5, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Our goal in evangelism is to see people converted from loving themselves with all their heart, their soul, and their might to loving Jehovah Jesus with all their heart and soul and might. And when the greatest commandment says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might, that means becoming a lover of God. And so our goal in evangelism is to make lovers of God, lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't love a person you don't know about. We need to be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. My my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin, he was 12 years old. I told you, he was 12 years old when he was adopted by my attorney and and he came to Washington, D.C. And before Temeskin and his family, before he came, he couldn't, he was in his village, he couldn't read. And a lady who also couldn't read came from a church to his animus village there about an hour outside of Addis Ababa. And the lady had this big Bible, almost bigger than she was. In the Bible, there were words. She couldn't read the words. But throughout the Bible, there were pictures to illustrate. And she used the pictures because she couldn't read. She used the pictures to talk about what the Lord Jesus Christ did and how wonderful he is. And from that, from that lady, Pemeskin learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ from the pictures and what that lady said. And I knew Tomaskin for about three years until he was 15 when the osteosarcoma cancer finally killed him. But during that time, I had the opportunity to watch him evangelize one of his friends. And Tomaskin didn't talk to his friend about, you know, have to pray this prayer and repeat after me. Tomaskin didn't talk to his friend about accepting Jesus as Savior. Tomaskin talked about how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.